Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Namihi nui. I'm Alison Balance, and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. This week, we're celebrating New Zealand's annual research honours with interviews with some of the winners. In a year when, for the first time, more than half of the awards went to women. Associate Professor Marin Wellenreuter from Plant and Food Research has won the 2018 Hamilton Award for Early Career Research Excellence for work to develop New Zealand's favourite fish, snapper, as an aquaculture species. My focus is at the moment on snapper. Snapper is, of course, a very iconic species in New Zealand, and we are very keen to um, develop the species um, as a new species for aquaculture. So this sounds like a challenging project. You're starting from scratch with snapper? Absolutely. When I came to New Zealand four years ago, there was almost nothing known about the genetics of snapper. At the time, there were only a handful of genetic markers available, and when we started working on snapper, one of the first things that we did was that we assembled the genome of snapper, and that was, of course, an absolutely big step. Tell me a little bit more about the genomics work you're doing with wild snapper first. So where have you got to with that? So our work um, on wild snapper is together with Peter Ritchie at Victoria University. I'm an associate investigator on Peter Ritchie's Marston Grant on snapper, and this Marston Grant seeks to explore the um, fisheries-induced evolution in snapper using ancient DNA. So what we are doing is that we are trying to extract DNA from really, really old bones that were collected from middens all around New Zealand. And typically we use the jaw bones because they seem to preserve the ancient DNA in the best way. And together with the Ancient DNA Laboratory at Otago University and collaborators in Norway, we are trying to sequence this ancient DNA, which is really challenging because it breaks down over time into small fragments. So then we are trying to compare this sequenced ancient DNA with modern DNA samples that we are collecting or have been collecting over the last years from around New Zealand. And by doing this comparison, we're trying to understand the effect that fishing had on um, the genetic diversity of snapper. So have you got any insights yet into perhaps how much snapper genetic diversity we might have lost, for instance? It's still early days, so we're hoping to be in a position in a few months to actually get the first data sets back and then to do the analysis. What we're really trying to understand is whether fishing pressures have altered the evolutionary trajectory of snapper because what happens with fishing is that fishing selects for the largest fish in a population and then those that are growing really fast, they're being selected over time. And so this may then have an effect on the growth rates of snapper and also the time at which they mature because if you mature um, late in life and you're being caught before you are mature, 
you have not had a chance to pass on your genes to the next generation. So early maturation is typically selected, and we think that we might find a signature of this in the genome. Now, this ties in nicely with the other project that you're working on, which is trying to develop snapper as an aquaculture species, because I imagine in that instance you'd actually be wanting fish that grew quite quickly. So tell me about the challenge of trying to turn a wild fish species into something that could be farmed under an aquaculture system. So the first thing that you need to do when you want to establish a new species for aquaculture, you have to catch it. That can be a challenge for some species. Then you have to bring it in a pretty good state into the hatchery. Once it's in the hatchery, you have to see if the species will spawn naturally, so if it will go into spawning on its own. And that's actually a challenge for a lot of species. A lot of species will actually not reproduce on their own. And so the first hurdle is then really to understand what the reasons are for species not to reproduce in captivity. But some species do actually spawn um, even if they're in a new environment like a hatchery. And for snapper, for example, it was no problem. And after we caught them, they already reproduced in the first year. And so the second hurdle is then once you've got a species to reproduce in a new environment like the hatchery, you also have to develop ways to get them to grow into really healthy fish. And this takes a little bit of time, and you have to try to get them to grow so that you can reproduce them again, or in other words, that you can close the life cycle of a species. Once you have closed the life cycle, then you can actually start a selective breeding program. And so that's what we are doing now with snapper. We know we can spawn them really well in captivity. There's no problem. They, um, they will actually start more or less next month, and then they will spawn all the way to March. During that time, we can collect fertilized eggs and grow them into larvae and fingerlings and juveniles, and then those ones will start to reproduce again when they reach three years. And so our focus at the moment is to get them to grow really well into really healthy fish and um, the breeding program that we have on snapper focuses on enhancing key traits of interest such as growth rate um, but also things like um, a good resistance to temperature fluctuations. How do you know what to feed them and I'm thinking in particular how do you know what to feed the little fish? You know with some species that's actually trial and error you just try it out if there's, for instance, no information available. Um, for snapper, it is pretty standard. You start feeding them with rotifers. Um, they're tiny, tiny things, and you load them up with lots of oils and really good nutrients, and the larvae grow really well. Once they have grown a little bit bigger and have used up their yolk sac, you can start feeding them atemia. These are slightly larger. We grow all of these things in our hatchery. So we've got a whole bay in our hatchery just dedicated to grow rotifers and atemia. And our technicians in the hatchery are very busy over the summer months when snapper are spawning just to produce enough food for the larvae. And then once they get older, you really feed them a varied diet. These are usually um, pellets that we design together with food companies. Um, they have to be high in proteins, but we also give them um, chopped up mussels or squid, things like that. How many snapper do you have in the hatchery at the moment? Are you talking tens or hundreds or thousands? I'm talking thousands. 
we've got quite a large broodstock. So the broodstock at the moment would consist of, say, 150 individuals. Then we have um, different aged snapper. You know, every year we are producing snapper. So, say, during the spawning season, we will produce 100, 150,000 snapper. And then we don't keep all of them. <laughs> they grow. They take up more space as they grow. Um, so we have to be um, selecting um, the best ones only to um, move on to the next generation. So when you say you're keeping the best ones, what are the, the features about a snapper that makes it a good one to keep? Yeah. Our core focus at the moment is to enhance the growth rate of snapper because if you can enhance the growth rate of a species, then, you know, you achieve um, your breeding gains much faster. It costs less money to get them to market size, and so growth, growth gains are really important. What that means is that in practice, we select the fastest-growing individuals from each generation. But at the same time, we don't just select for growth rate because that's what traditional breeding programs usually did. We are also coupling this selection with genetic information to ensure that we don't cause inbreeding over time and also that we have a good um, presentation of the genetic diversity that we want to maintain in the population. Now, I understand that you have a special way of using photographs, of using images to, to identify, to fingerprint your snapper. Tell me about that. That's right. So... In any breeding program, one of the things that you have to do is you have to understand how your fish are doing. And what that means is that you have to go into the hatchery and look at the fish and also measure them. For a breeding program, that means that you have to every year measure hundreds if not thousands of fish. And that is really time-consuming and is also loaded with problems because measuring a fish means you have to take it out of its tank. So they don't really like that, and it actually takes a lot of time to do that. In the past, what we have done is that we um, tag individual fish, and that allows us to track individuals over time, and then we measure their growth repeatedly over the years to understand what their growth trajectories are. But now what we are doing is that we just take an image. And it sounds simple. It isn't maybe quite as simple, but it's an absolutely fantastic way to get really good insights into the way that snapper grows. So we take the snapper, we anesthetize them first very lightly so that they're not stressed. Then we take an individual fish out of the tank and we take an image of the fish. And using that image, we can actually identify each individual in our hatchery. And again, I'm talking about thousands of different fish. Um, with a very high accuracy, with 99% accuracy. Um, so the color pattern of snapper we found is absolutely unique to each individual, and it's also stable over time. We have found that it's stable for at least four years. So this is the um, data that we have at the moment, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is stable over the whole life. We just don't have the data yet. And what we also know is that the color patterns are expressed once they are three to six months old, so quite early on. So what we do actually now in our hatchery, instead of tagging snapper, none of our snapper is really getting tagged anymore. Instead, when they're three to six months old, we take an image, 
And then when we recapture that individual in our, um, in our hatchery, we just take an image again, we run our software, and it will find this individual in our database of images again. And so we can see how much that individual has grown from the last time that we recorded. How long do you think it'll be before snapper is ready to be a commercial aquaculture species? I would like to see this being ready in five to ten years. And I have to say, of course, breeding programs, I mean, these are long-term commitments. We get breeding gains with every generation. So every three years we get a new breeding gain. And every time we get that, it will become more lucrative or they will basically grow faster. Um, snapper at this stage grow already really well. We have made fantastic improvements just in our two-year breeding program. We had actually, for, for the early life stages of snapper, we were able to double the growth rate for the early days already. So we are quite confident that we can get them to grow to, say, 700 grams or one kilogram much faster. Are you looking at any other New Zealand fish species? Yeah, we're also looking at trevally. So trevally is related to um, the yellow-tailed kingfish, and it's a fantastic species. It's a schooling species. It's um, fantastic for sashimi. It's a species that is very new in our hatchery. We have spawned that species for the first time three years ago, and the offspring of trevally is close to reaching sexual maturity either this year or next year. We are actually just looking into that, and we are keeping a really close eye on the Trevally population to see if they may start to spawn this year or next year. Sounds exciting. Yeah, it is absolutely exciting. With every new species, we get exciting new challenges, their own requirements and their own needs, and it's, it's a real multidisciplinary project. You need to know... So many things when you're breeding a species, you need to know what temperatures they need, what they feed on, what they need to um, reproduce, um, yeah, all of these things. So I like the challenges of that, and I like the multidisciplinary aspects of it as well. Your varied background is sounding like it's a very useful thing to have. Yeah, I guess as long as I can remember, I always wanted to become a biologist. I've always been interested in the diversity of life, and questions like how many species are there, why are some groups of organisms so much more diverse than others, and I ask myself how do environmental and biological traits influence speciation rates or rates of molecular evolution, and while I started out as an ecologist, I have really over the last 10 years more and more applied molecular techniques to, to integrate evolutionary ecology with genetics. And by doing so, I've studied fish, damselflies, and also flies. So I've worked on all sorts of little critters, and I've worked in Germany, Australia, New Zealand, and Sweden. So it's been extremely diverse, and it's, it's happened because I, I'm fascinated by science and why species are so diverse and what the genetics hold and how we can use that to understand their ecology and how we can better breed them and also protect natural populations in the wild. Thanks, Marin. Marin Wellenreuter is with Plant and Food Research and the University of Auckland.
I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ on the 18th of October 2018. To find out more about this podcast and find interviews with other winners of New Zealand's 2018 research medals, head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. You'll find all sorts of interesting things there, including science award winners from previous years and a whole lot of other stuff, from astronomy to ultra-cold physics. We hang out on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. We are a podcast available on your favourite podcast provider. Look for us under RNZ, Our Changing World. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Kia pai tora. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Anabotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.